Well, good morning and happy new year. And happy new year. <laughs> Sing to the Lord a new song. Bless his name, all the earth. So we have the opportunity in this new year the year 2022, to sing a new song to the Lord and to praise his glorious name in new ways. So may God grant us the grace and the vision to do that. How many of you remember the uh, Christian name fad in the late 70s and early 80s? Uh, where in Christian bookstores there were plaques, bookmarks, posters with people's names the meaning of those names, and then a Bible verse under it. Do you guys remember anybody? Ring a bell? Okay. Some of us old-timers. I went to a Christian school, and in seventh grade, I was in a choir class, and because my voice hadn't changed yet, I was still singing alto. And one day, the choir director thought it'd be a great idea to order bookmarks, name bookmarks, for all the choristers. And these bookmarks had each person's name, the meaning of their name, and then a Bible verse at the bottom. But instead of simply giving everybody in the choir the bookmark, the director decided to use it as an educational opportunity. So she would call out the person's name, they would come to the front of the class, and she would say the meaning of that person's name and read the Bible verse. It was supposed to be a way to encourage people to live into their names. Well, the teacher got to my name and something strange happened. Uh, my name, of course, is Andrew, and Andrew is a biblical name that derives from the Greek word for man, andros. And typically, the meaning of Andrew is rendered strong, um, and it would be usually be followed by the verse, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, from Ephesians 6. So the choir director calls me forward, saying, Andrew, which means manly. And then she chuckled, remembering that I still sang alto, and said, well, not yet. <laughs> Everybody burst out laughing, my face turned beet red, and I returned in shame to my seat with my tail between my legs and my bookmark in hand. <laughs> of course, in the Bible, names are hugely important. And in some English translations of the Bible, the word name and its alternative forms appear over 1,000 times. About half of these occurrences refer to the name of God or to the name of his son. And in the ESV translation of the Psalms, the word name appears 110 times. And most of the time it refers to God's holy name. The name of God is holy and should never be desecrated. And this isn't only characteristic of the Old Testament. It's also true of the New Testament. What is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. The hallowedness or holiness of God's name is especially evident, of course, in the name that God reveals to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh. And God tells Moses, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. In scripture, names demonstrate the state of being, or the particular state of one person's being. And this is literally true in the case of Yahweh, which 
is a play on the Hebrew verb to be. So Yahweh could be uh, translated as I am what I will be or simply I am. This thing was especially holy and the third commandment warned against taking it in vain or using it with malice. So many ancient Jews would not pronounce this name and many still don't today. So why was naming so important in the ancient world? Well, in part, it was because to know the name meant to know the person or the thing the name referred to. To have a person's name, in a sense, was to have that person. So when God gives us his name, he gives himself to us as well. Yesterday was not only New Year's Day, but also the first red-letter day of the secular year in the church calendar. And you can see it on the front of your worship guide. It's the circumcision and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in our gospel reading from Luke, we see that Jesus, like all Jewish boys of his time, was circumcised on the eighth day. So we are uh, on the first of uh, January, we are eight days after Christmas. That was yesterday. And of course, the circumcision on the eighth day was stipulated by the Mosaic Law in Leviticus 12. And over time, it became customary for boys to be given their name on the day they were circumcised as well. This became kind of like a festive occasion. Family and friends would gather to witness the naming of the child. And we see this in Luke 1 in the John the Baptist story as well. So at the time of his circumcision, eight days after his birth, Jesus was given his name. The Greek form of his name is Isus. And of course, the Hebrew form of the name is Yeshua or Joshua. But why is Jesus given this particular name? I would like to focus my attention on two issues. First, the meaning of the name Jesus, and then the person whose life Jesus fulfills by taking on that name. Um, in the Old Testament, there are at least 30 instances where parents choose or construct a name that either fits the circumstances of a child's birth or expresses their hopes for that child. Two examples. The first one that expresses the circumstances of birth. We see that in Samuel. Samuel means heard by God. And this is a name that Hannah gave to her son because she had been barren and had been praying for a long time to have a child. She was heard by God literally in the name Samuel. Also to express hopes for that child. So the name Joseph means God will add or increase. And of course, Joseph is the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And Jacob hoped for more children with Rachel through Joseph. He will add or he will increase. And in the gospel narratives, we see that Joseph and Mary are instructed to give Jesus the name Jesus. We see this in Luke 1 and 2, but we also have a bit more explanation in Matthew chapter 1. Here the angel tells Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, because he will save his people from their sins. This would make sense to a Jewish audience because they knew that the name Yeshua literally means the Lord saves or the Lord is victor. But what does it mean to be saved from sin? 
Let me talk first about the person whose life Jesus fulfills in his name, and then I'll come back to that question. So the writers of the New Testament clearly portray Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. And his life, in many ways, is a recapitulation, a recap of Israel's salvation history. And each gospel writer draws attention to this fact in different ways. But perhaps it's most obvious in the first of the gospels, in the gospel of Matthew. And in the early chapters of Matthew, we see that Jesus is directly connected to three pivotal Old Testament figures. Abraham, Moses, and David. In verse 1 of chapter 1, he's described as the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so in many ways, Jesus' life and ministry fulfills the role of these men in the Old Testament. But Jesus is not named after any of these men. He is a great man of faith. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. But he is not named Abraham. He survives the death sentence of a wicked king like Moses. He teaches on the mountain with authority like Moses, but he is not given the name Moses. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of David, but he's not given the name David. Instead, he's given the name Joshua. Joshua. Yeshua. But why? The most famous Joshua in the Bible is, of course, the son of Nun, the successor of Moses. And we see in the early books of the Old Testament that Moses leads the people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And through him, God gives the people of Israel the law. But for all his greatness, Moses did not inherit the land or go into the land. Moses led the people out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. But Joshua leads the people into the promised land across the Jordan River. Through Joshua, which means God saves, or God is victor. God saved the people by bringing them into the possession of the land and giving them victory over their enemies. Joshua enters the land through the waters of the Jordan River. And as he does, he places 12 stones as a memorial, one for each of the tribes of Israel. Jesus, Joshua, enters his ministry through the waters of the Jordan as well, where he is baptized. And then he takes on 12 disciples who become the foundational building stones for the church, the new Israel of God. There's one other Joshua connection I would like to mention. In the Matthew genealogy, a peculiar woman is named Rahab, sometimes referred to as Rahab the prostitute. And of course, we remember from the early chapters of Joshua that Joshua sends out spies to kind of search out to land to get a feel for what's going on. And several were sheltered in Jericho by Rahab. And as a reward for her favor, when Jericho fell, Rahab was saved by a red cord that was tied to her window. And this red cord harkens back to the blood that people were to smear on their doorposts during Passover. But it also, as some of the church fathers pointed out, Rahab's red cord is an allegory of sinful humanity saved through the blood of Christ, which alone can save. So on the eighth day, when the Son of God is given the name Jesus, 
We are supposed to contemplate first and foremost his life in light of the foundational Old Testament stories of Moses, of Joshua, the crossing of the Jordan, and the entrance into the land of promise. Joshua, or Yeshua, the son of Nun, is a prefiguration or type of Jesus, a type of Yeshua, the son of Mary, the most true and complete embodiment of God's salvation. So the name and the life of Joshua is filled in the name and the life of Jesus of Nazareth. He is literally God saves. He himself is God's salvation for all humanity. So let me come back to a question that I posed earlier. What does it mean to be saved from sin? And what is the salvation that Jesus offers? Well, this is a difficult question to sum up briefly, isn't it? In a sense, the entire New Testament answers this question. So let me answer that question through the lens of Jesus, Joshua, and their connection. Jesus is named after Joshua, not Moses, because Moses and the law could not save us. We saw in our gospel reading from last week in John 1 that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Moses didn't cross the Jordan. He did not enter the promised land, the land of the living. And this was the case because at Meribah Kadesh, he disobeyed God by striking the rock instead of speaking to it. So he is a stark and really harsh reminder that no one can perfectly keep God's law. Not even the great Moses himself. And he was a great man. In fact, in the Old Testament, no man is spoken of more highly than Moses. We see that in his obituary in Deuteronomy 34. No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. But not even Moses could be perfectly obedient. So he fell before God, and he died. But Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, God saves, was perfectly obedient. And by virtue of his obedience and his indestructible life, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw to God through him. He leads his people into the ultimate promised land, the land of eternal life, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. And remember the proclamation of the angel, the good tidings of great joy. To you, this is given to the shepherds. To you is born this day in the city of David, what? A savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the word save Savior and salvation are used many times in the Bible. But the point in Luke 2 is that Savior is a title for Jesus. And typically as a title, it's only used of God himself. He is the unique Savior, the only one who can save. So that's why Peter boldly tells the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of Israel, salvation is found in no one else. For here there is no other name. Under heaven, given to mankind by which, by which we must be saved. He alone saves. So what does the holy name of Jesus mean for us here at the beginning of Anno Domini 2022? 
Well, first of all, we must remember to honor and to hold up his holy name. Uh, recently, Dari and I were watching um, a sci-fi series on Amazon Prime. It's set in the not-so-distant future when the entire solar system has been uh, colonized by humanity. But strikingly, religion doesn't seem to play much of a role in this future, which I think is typical of futuristic fiction. And yet, the name of Jesus is often used by characters in the story. But it's not used positively. It's used as a curse word. And for this reason, we stopped watching the show. It just got to the point where I couldn't get past that. This seems to be more and more commonplace, where in our enlightened post-Christian culture, the holy name of Jesus has become an epithet. So to counteract the profaning of Jesus' holy name, we must redouble our efforts to live into and up to the name. In ancient times, there was a direct connection between one's name and one's personality. And as Christians, we must live up to the name of Christ. As one theologian has put it, we are called to be by grace what Jesus is by nature. So an example, in John 10, Jesus describes himself as the door, as the gate. So each one of us should be a gate for other people to enter into communion with God. We are not to be obstacles, but open doors to God's kingdom, inviting people to enter. We have a moral obligation to live up to and into the name of Jesus. Uh, Paul puts it very clearly in 2 Timothy 2. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from sin. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And we also see this in our collect for today, especially in the phrase, give us grace faithfully to bear his name. And notice the verb here, bear. It's not easy to carry the name of Christ. And Jesus tells his disciples multiple times that they would be hated for his name's sake. And one final takeaway regarding the name of Jesus. If you aren't a Christian, you are invited to believe in the holy name of Jesus today. John 1.12 tells us that to those who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And this is the purpose of John writing his gospel. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The name of Christ is powerful. It's referenced in the book of Acts over 40 times. And it begins with Peter's Pentecost sermon. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. So if you haven't yet called on that name, I pray that you will today. And the name of Jesus is supreme. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us that it is a name that is above every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So let me close with words from our collect for today. Pray with me. Almighty God, your blessed Son was given the name that is above every name. Give us grace faithfully to bear his name and to worship him with pure hearts according to the new covenant who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.